Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneMo, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I'm always rocking OneMo, and there's a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different pants and shorts to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy, and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms, or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants, and everything is made from premium fabrics, with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL, and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. From flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, one bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns in order to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian, just like me. And for me, that's important. New gear drops every couple of weeks, including the fall collection hitting the market recently. And it's got some absolute bangers in it. And the website and app are always loaded with the latest gear, styles, and offerings. As a One Bone Ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. It is a one-time use code, but I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone and become part of the One Bone family, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. One Bone, the biggest brand. Greetings and salutations. Welcome, everybody, to episode 41 of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Keyboard Kimura. I'm your host, D. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, joined by the young king, Harry Powell. Good, sir. It is nice to have you back. I appreciate you jumping in. We are here this morning, today, Wednesday, October 25th, to discuss the fallout from UFC 295 as Harry was sleeping last night, as I was readying to go to bed. UFC President Dana White announced that John Jones had torn the tendon that connects his pectoral muscle to the bone. So his fight at UFC 295 against Steven Miacic has been canceled for now, delayed, however you want to say it, replaced by an interim championship fight between Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall. That will slot in as the co-main event, the light heavyweight championship bout between Yuri Prohashka and Alex Paheya moves into the main event. It's a whole bunch of moving pieces. It's a whole bunch of changes. Mr. Powell, let's start with what happens to this originally planned heavyweight championship. We have waited for John Jones and Steve Miacic for a while. It was a month away from happening, three weeks away from happening. Now it is going to be delayed indefinitely. We don't know how long John Jones is going to be out. Are we ever going to see this fight? So you said what's going to happen to it. Nothing is is the, is going to happen to it because <laughs> it was never going to happen in the first place, right? Like I um I I, I don't know. I think uh, I think the answer is we probably don't see it rebooked 
Um, you know, I've heard nothing from Stipe, frankly. Uh, nothing about, don't worry, I'll take this or I'll take that. Like, if Stipe wanted to fight, and I mean wanted to fight, not wanted to fight John Jones, but wanted to fight, he'd be the one fighting either Pavlovich or Aspinall, right? And it would Correct. be him in the interim slot. But it's not, right? Uh, and it's not because he cares about fighting John Jones and not not about about fighting. And I um I frankly have have no issue with that, right? If, if Stipe never wanted to fight again, he's done enough. We've seen enough. I have no problem with it whatsoever. Fair play to him. Thanks very much for the career. Um, I also think that you know John Jones is kind of this mythic beast at the moment, where there was the run at light heavyweight, right, where he was undoubtedly the best in the world and this and that and the next thing. Um, but the MMA has moved on, like, and and I think that whilst a large portion of MMA fans have seen John Jones and they have seen his array of of skills and his array of of talents, I also feel like he's sort of an afterthought in 2023 modern mixed martial arts, and I question whether people really give a shit that he's not fighting anymore because before in John Jones era, right? When he was really, really John Jones, there was like two fighters that were amazing. It was him. It was GSP and obviously Anderson Silva, right? Like those were the guys that were really, really, really above everyone. Right. Well, there's a plethora of cunts now, you know, <laughs> like there's Islam, there's Kamaru, there's Hamza, there is, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, there is in some fashions the Max Holloways, there is name any 125 pound fighter in the top 10, right? Like name any 135 pound fighter in the top right. 10. Wonderful. We have so much more female talent than ever before. And so the 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 ability to shine is greately diminished in the UFC. Sean O'Malley, we have Israel Adesanya, we have, you know, all, you fucking name them. There's a right. there's a ton of fighters that, okay, they probably don't hold a torch to John Jones at his absolute apex, but we are spoiled now in terms of extremely elite, skilled fighters. And so fans look at a loss of a John Jones card and it's like, well, okay, <laughs> like what are we what are we actually losing you know yeah i mean if you look at john jones's record and this is this is one of the crazy things to me since the start of the pandemic so he fought dominic reyes a month before the world shut down for the global corona coronavirus pandemic of 2020 that carried on for a year and a half and to some extent we're still dealing with to this day he's fought once since then and that was in march of this year against Cyril Gagné. lasted two minutes and so he's not really a guy to your point that even for me, someone who is invested in this on a daily basis, I think about, and I go, Ooh, John Jones, because he just hasn't been here. Stipe Miocic to the same extent you mentioned in there that you haven't heard from Stipe, the hilarious part of this fight falling apart late last night is that yesterday afternoon, I spoke to Stipe Miocic for a story that was going to be on UFC.com and asked him some of these same questions that we're throwing out there of like, why has this been the one that you've, you've held out for? And, and I clarified with him as I do now, not that he was holding out of, I'm not coming back unless, and 
trying to lord it over the UFC. But he just didn't want to come back to, as you said, fight anybody. Understandably, the man's 20 and four in his career. He's a two-time heavyweight champion. He won the trilogy with Daniel Cormier. He's one and one with Francis Ngannou. He had a couple of fights that he was looking at as these are the ones that I want. And it was Francis Ngannou and he left the UFC and then it was John Jones. And if those weren't going to happen, he was content to be a firefighter, a husband, a father, and a prankster around his house. Occasionally a podcaster, all of these different things. He was happy with it. And I asked him, look, if this didn't come together, would you have been satisfied? And he says, yeah, I've done enough. Like I've, I've done plenty. I want to come back because this is a huge fight and it's John Jones and he's one of the greatest of all time and three-time heavyweight champion and just further cement my legacy. And it all made sense. If this is a nine to 12 month injury, which I imagine it will be, that doesn't sound very, very quick recovery time, given the rigors of, of MMA and anything that can go wrong in surgery. And I'm knocking on wood just generally. I don't know that a year from now you fire Stipe Miocic up again to come back and do this. He'll be another year removed. He'll be 42 years old. John will be 37. The division, the sport, the UFC, if it hasn't already, will continue to move on. And I think this is going to end up being one of those fights that we probably should have gotten earlier. It would have been great if we got it earlier. Feels like there was a two or three year window there where it could have been made, where John Jones was tired of being at light heavyweight, wanted to move up, understandably took the time to get to heavyweight in a spot where his body feels good, but it feels like a missed opportunity. And I don't think we get it again. No, I, um, I also think that nobody like it's difficult because you and I, it's obviously this is, this is a misnomer of a statement, but I don't think anyone fucking knows Stipe like, and, and so the, well, the, this is the or, interesting part too, right? Is continue. The law was John Jones. The allure yeah. was John Jones at heavyweight and the UFC put so many marketing dollars behind John Jones at heavyweight that I bet you that, I don't know, a large portion of brand new fans thought John Jones was a heavyweight forever, right? Yep. And he's come out and he's done mad things at, at heavyweight and then Francis has left and blah, 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 blah whatever, right? I don't think they know or really give a shit about who Stipe is because Stipe doesn't really give a shit about who Stipe is in terms of building in terms of the marketing and promotion of himself absolutely like it just doesn't care and that's why the UFC didn't really like Stipe as a as a UFC champion because although he represented some amazing things that could be marketed very easily the UFC likes fighters that do some of the heavy lifting themselves and Stipe doesn't do that, right? And so you can sell him as a firefighter, you could as a father, as a podcaster, as a prankster, as the winningest, I fucking hate that, but the winningest UFC heavyweight champion of all of the times. And people are like, okay, he doesn't make me laugh though. He doesn't make me feel anything. He just goes out yeah. and goes fighting. John Jones, for bad or for good, will make you fucking feel something, you know? Um, and yeah. then he goes and does the fighting thing as well. And so that's grand. Um, he was part of one half of one of the greatest rivalries the UFC has ever seen. And so people, there's reverie there. You, there's so many highlight clips there. There's so many this and that and the next thing. 
And, you know, Daniel Cormier's big fucking oaf head will be somewhere involved in in that fight somewhere. And he's going to talk about it. He's going to bring it up. He's going to fucking say something. And people will react to that in some fashion. And so a 42-year-old Stipe, even a 37-year-old John Jones, it right. just, you know, uh, over at Sphere of May, Mr. Shawnee Podcasts uh, uh, coined a phrase, which was, we want to see the best fight the best when they are at their best. A 42-year-old Stipe is not at his best, like. And neither is, yeah. frankly, a 37-year-old John Jones. Like, right. John Jones wasn't really a man that got injured. He may have taken a couple of licks here and there. You know, he broke his fucking toe in a fight and was like, oh, that's bad, and then just put it back I together. should make sure I finish this guy so this doesn't fall off. Right, and then walked out of the cage like, huh, I suppose I'll need a plaster or something. And, like, now this is the this is the yeah. perils that you get when you put so much mass on your body and you ask your body to take such a, a vastly different load and then still try and be an mma fighter and put yourself through the rigors of a training camp shit like this happens right, right. so i don't know like it well, doesn't well and as you as you said right we we talk about john jones's absence because it it ended earlier this year march will be 3 years since we've seen stipe miocic compete and so it's the same amount of time that John Jones was away between Dominic Reyes and returning to face Cyril Ghana and win the heavyweight title. And so it just becomes to me, ultimately that hurdle and that distance that is too great to close. And, and as you said, I don't necessarily know that there are legions of fans that are clamoring to see the return of Steve Miocic. I am. I came up watching him. I watched his rise. I remember his debut against Joey Beltran. I remember being surprised when he lost to, to Stefan Struve. I remember these things. They resonate with me. But he's also a 42-year-old man that, as you said, isn't necessarily somebody that pops when he's on camera. The hilarious thing with Stipe always being that once you hit record, he changes and he clams up a little bit. As soon as you're not recording, hilarious, great, talkative, plenty to say. But I was getting one-word answers all day yesterday. They were still good. We were able to mine some stuff but I'm just not sure that we see this. And I'm not sure, as you said, that people are necessarily all that upset that it goes by the boards, which brings us to the interim title fight between Sergey Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall, which, yeah, you're making that money sign. And for me, I love this. I think there's plenty to discuss here, but just on the, on the level of active, dangerous, talented heavyweights in the UFC. These two are up at the top for me alongside Cyril gone. Jailton Almeida is still a little bit of a question mark. We're going to get a couple more answers here in a week and change against Derek Lewis. Will we, I think just in terms of, will he be able to take the big man down and keep him there when Derek Lewis tries to, you know, bench press his way up. This is a fight I've been waiting to see. This is a fight I've been looking forward to. I think, you, me, a lot of people all kind of said, well, once Jones and Miocic is done and they both retire, this is what we're going to get anyways. And so here we are. What are your thoughts just on the fight itself before we get into the marketing promotion strategic side of things? I just think it's the right fight to make. Like, I think um, heavyweight is one of those strange divisions where there's only, a, it's quite a small size pool anyway because there's just not that many humans in the world that are that size that choose to do professional fighting um and so i think when you have a bit of lightning in a bottle and when you have 
uh, a couple of big heavy guys walking around who have very interesting one personalities but two different fighting styles like you kind of have to capitalize on that a little bit and as much as Stipe Miocic is a is, is a great fighter he's not well-rounded like he's got good boxing and he can stuff a takedown grand fair play to him like what else like with Tom Aspinall, with somebody like Jelton Almeida, who you know is not well-rounded either, but even Sergei Pavlovich, we're looking at better technical heavyweights than we've ever seen. Like you know, Curtis Blades is obviously in there with a shout too, and so and Sikhil Gagne, if he can stuff a takedown. Um, you know, we're we're looking at at probably the most technical heavyweights we've ever seen. Right, Kane was somebody that that came up with a lot of aggression and some good hands. Junior Dos Santos, great hands, great defensive wrestling. But again, we're not looking at the heavyweight reflection of modern mixed martial arts. Whereas in somebody like Thomas Bernal, in somebody like Sergey Pavlovich, I think we are. Like, I, I think we are now. Ever going to look as fluid as it as Islam Makachev is going to make it look, or as Alexander Volkanovsky, just because there's so much mass to move around, and simply because there's so much more. Um, stakes i guess like if you get clipped by either of those fellas fellas, you're going sleep like and so there's a cautiousness that's that's absolutely necessary when when dealing with any of those heavyweights but in terms of the fight itself they're two young-ish heavyweights right they're two fresh heavyweights they're two fresh names that we have not seen band around, you know, in this weird love triangle in Francis Sangani <laughs> right. and Stephen right. and John Jones and these fucking whatever, whatever. And they're also active heavyweights, right? Tomas Bernal wants to be fighting three times a year. Sergei Pavlovich seemingly wants to be fighting three times a year. And so does Sihil Gagné, right? Like, it seems like Sihil is taking it more seriously now than he ever has. And so we have some some interesting matchups coming up now. I think specifically, if we, if you want to like talk about the actual fight itself, it's very, very, very interesting to me, given that Tomas Bernal, yes, he's a big heavyweight, but he relies on speed and technique, whereas Pavlovich relies on power and physicality and explosivity and just having like sink-sized lunchbox hands. And so, you know, I'm very intrigued to see, one, how Aspinall deals with somebody like Pavlovich because... Whilst Aspinall's sort of uh, one of the things he's been saying is, oh, I've got this amazing group of heavyweights around me. I've got KSW champions. I've got these and that. And the next thing I've got Mick Parkin, who's now a UFC fighter and all of these sorts of things. It's very hard to replicate somebody like Pavlovich, right? Very hard to replicate it. 6'4", a legit 250, 84-inch reach. And as you said, lunchbox is on the end of his hands, carrying dynamite. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that has gone out and blown through everybody save for Alexander, sorry, save for Alistair Overeem when he got thrown to the Wolves in his debut. But he and Aspinall, as you're, as you're saying, right, six and one each in the UFC, 30 and 31 years old, Aspinall being 30. Young, dynamic, new, ascending. This is what we're always looking for. It would be great if one of these two men was facing a tenured, long-standing heavyweight champion and we got an actual sort of passing of the torch, changing of the guard at the top of this division. But it just hasn't been the case for a while, right? And I mean a good long while. Like we had essentially three fighters competing for the championship for a number of years between Stipe, Francis Ngannou, and Daniel Cormier. Then we cycled in John Jones. He's now out. 
And so there just hasn't been time for, or opportunity for either of these men to get in there with that 10. There hasn't been a tenured champion. And then, then hasn't been opportunity for either of these guys to get in there with them. But I, like you, think this is the absolute right time, the absolute right fight. And one that I'm wildly fascinated by because Pavlovich is a monster. He does hit with, and you and I have talked about this privately following some of his fights. The power is there, but he's also measured with it. He's also more precise with it. He's not a guy that comes in and he gets you hurt and he just goes ham. He stops and he picks his shots to make sure that everyone I hit you with continues to chip away and chip away so that two land and you're done rather than I have to throw 40. And Tom Aspinall, to me, might be the best athlete in the division. We don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. But the skills that he has, the repertoire that he brings to the cage is different than a lot of his contemporaries. And I think that makes for a real interesting wrinkle and a real interesting co-main event. But it also feels to me, and, and we started talking about this as we were prepping, that this fight hasn't necessarily been received. And, and granted, it's, you know, 12 hours notice or 12 hours since we got the news. But my initial in scrolling through and seeing it last night and this morning was that I saw a bunch of people kind of going, hmm, it's not really quite what I want for Madison Square Garden. It's not quite really. And that applies to the whole card as a whole in totality. But for me, this fight feels like what should be a massive fight that isn't there yet because these guys haven't quite gotten the push that someone in their position in previous eras probably would have. But you mentioned it feels a little different to you over there, which I totally understand. So please elaborate. Yeah, so I'll just just quickly comment on, on one thing that was said. Like, I don't think Aspinall is anywhere near the best athlete in 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 the heavyweight division. I think the best athlete for athleticism is probably Jelton Almeida. Like, um, but in terms of a technical skill set, I mean, yeah, uh, we've seen Tom Aspinall do it all. Is it is he as hyper focused when it comes to the grappling? Is he as dialed in and as as clean and as precise as maybe Jelton is? Well, maybe not. Like, but. Then when you marry up the grappling versus the striking, Aspinall right. and Almeida, and how they they blend those two together, I mean, it's not even the same conversation. But over here, the, the read I think on the fight is genuinely, I don't think anyone gives a shit that it's in MSG because it doesn't mean anything to us over right. here, right? Like MSG is just known as one of the ingredients in our Chinese takeaways. Like, it's not- and I'll jump in real quick and say I don't think it holds the same value with current generations as it does with former. It doesn't have the same mystique that it did when it was playing host to Ali Frazier. It's a product of a bygone era where Dana White and the people booking this fight hold that mystique of, this is the Mecca. This is where we have, this is the most famous arena in the world. I have a piece coming out this week on UFC.com about great moments in UFC history at Madison Square Garden through these six events because for some people there is that allure but i fully understand and agree with you that it doesn't have the same kind of impact as i think some people believe it to yeah i also think you know especially m- more modern mma fans they might not even know that muhammad ali fought there like they might not know that it's actually a basketball arena they might not know any of these things you know like it's just and and again the other side of it is when people tune in for a pay-per-view and there's that 
those those sort of be real footage of people walking in or the the surrounding area of where they are nobody gives a fuck like they are there with their mates sat down a couple of tins deep and they want to watch fights like i think it's very rare and even from from sort of a media perspective like do we really care where they are not really like as long as the fans in the arena have a great time and they enjoy themselves. We could fucking hold it in my backyard. I don't give a shit. And so I think that the the on this side anyway of, of the pond, there's very little chatter about this fight isn't good enough for MSG. There is certainly some, oh, that's a shame because we wanted to watch John Jones and Stipe Mucic do some things. But because both fighters, I'll say this tongue in cheek, are European fighters, um, there's a lot of reverie for both of them, right? There's a lot of reverie for both of them. Apologies, I'm just going to cough. And especially with Tom Aspinall, who's a very, very, very big deal in these parts of the world. Right. Seen as very much a local, relatable, down-to-earth, regular human. And I think he's done a very, very good job of representing himself in that way, specifically with the media outlets that he's spoken to over here, some of the features that he's done over here, some of the types of interviews that he's done over here. He's certainly gone over very, very, very well. And I think in an era of people like, say, Paddy Pimlet, who I think is diminishing in his stock over here because people are starting to see that it's more of a character and less of who he actually is, that Tomas Bernal is a melding of both things that he is a melding of the skills, but he's also a melding of people gelling with his actual character and very similar to Ian Gary where, okay, there's a manufactured character there. Tom Aspinall came in and said, I'm not rushing this lads. Like I'm going to go in. I know that I'm not quite ready yet, but I'm going to be. And when I'm, when I'm going to be, you know about it. Right. And he thinks he's ready. Right. And and there's very little that we've seen from performances that say he's not ready. Like right. Wow. The the one loss is an injury. He missteps, blows out his knee against Curtis Blades. What are you gonna do? These things happen in MMA. They fucking do. They fucking do. Um so here I've just seen a lot of jubilation for the fact that Tom is getting the title shot, right? You know, he tweeted out one thing and that was two weeks notice, let's go get my belt, right? And people love that. You know, think of the 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 reverie that Alexander Volkanovsky received right. from stepping up on short notice. Well, both of these lads get that same reverie, and right. and I do think there is a wrinkle to this where people understand, maybe unconsciously, but people understand that by both of these gentlemen stepping up, I think this is a double edged sword. Maybe this is a slight tangent coming, but it's a double edged sword in that people understand that the card is being saved in some fashion by these guys because otherwise we wouldn't have a heavyweight title on the line in any fashion whatsoever. But I also think that one of the beautiful parts of MMA are that the elite level athletes are willing to take these risks. And one of the things I said in the breakdown on severe MMA this week was if this was boxing and we had, let's say Canelo Alvarez versus, I don't know, insert fight a Floyd Mayweather fucking 55 years ago when they actually fought, right? If Floyd, got injured and they needed an elite fighter on short notice nobody steps up it doesn't happen it just gets scrapped yeah just get scrapped and they push it to three months six months nine months 12 months whatever it needs to be fine or they just find a new opponent and they do another camp and they do the whole thing right. fine there is an there is a beauty 
in MMA where the absolute apex of the divisions are willing to step up, not just on short notice, but against anyone. Right. Any fuckers you put in front of me. All the stakes. All the stakes. Push me all in. I'm ready to go. Style doesn't matter. Give it to me. It's really interesting too, because I think we're seeing, and it's, it's not quite a generational difference or an era difference, but there seems to be a little bit of disparity between these 25 to 30 year old fighters and their willingness to, I don't care what my ranking is. I want to be active. I want to compete. I want to go chase it. And, and that extends, obviously, Volka's 35. He jumped in. He doesn't care about all of that stuff. We we saw that last week. And then the sort of a little bit more tenured that now I've got a number next to my name and I need to protect this a little bit. Tom Aspinall isn't squatting on his ranking. Sergey Pavlovich isn't squatting on his ranking. These guys aren't holding out for the absolute biggest, give me all the prep, all the all the buildup, all the high. I just want to get out there and fight and grab that gold belt. And then I'll get all of the other things. It's why I adore this sport. It's why I adore so many of these athletes. It's why I had such reverie and such respect for Alexander Volkanovsky last week. As he said to me, he knew going in, this is my last shot. He took his last shot at light heavyweight or at lightweight on 12 days notice. He understood if I lose this one and that guy holds onto the belt, I'm out of the mix because now he could always play the, I had to fight Max three times card, but we'll see. And he did it because he wanted to compete. He wanted to challenge himself. He believed he was good enough. And these two dudes are stepping up to just get after it and fight the best available opponent they have right now. I also think that there is like when we were matchmaking Aspinall beforehand, right? One of the things I don't like to see, especially at heavyweight where the, the talent pool is so shallow, is uber prospects fighting uber prospects. Agreed. Too, right? And so if you wanted to do an Aspinal Pavlovich without a title on the line, unless it's absolutely for a bona fide spot at number one, then I don't really like it. It's unnecessary. Whereas if you're Aspinal and they say, here's a gold belt, it doesn't fucking matter who's on the other side. You say yes, right? right? And the same for Sergei Pavlovich. If they say there's a big gold belt on the line, the name is, you don't even let him finish the sentence and you sign the fucking paperwork, right? right. Now, I hope that they're both going to get paid for taking this on short notice. I hope they're both going to get paid for the fact that it is an interim belt. And so those are the things that you query before you you do the signing of the ink. But God damn it. It doesn't fucking matter now. Like now is the time to be fighting the Uber prospects, right? If, if right. you're two Uber prospects and you're both up at the apex of the division and there's a big gold belt, it doesn't fucking matter. Like in some fashion, it's it's similar to a kin of what some of the fallout I didn't like from the Islam Bakachev win was people saying, oh, Islam doesn't call his shot. Call his shot for what? He's the one with the big gold belt. Like it should be cunts around him that are saying, give me that dude. It's not right. the fucking way around. Like, and he said it perfectly. The UFC tells me who I'm going to fight. I don't give right. a shit. I'm the you one have my number. Fight. Just give me a call. Right. And so I think the other wrinkle to this fight that, that I like a lot is it's not just two lads stepping on for two weeks notice. It's not just for the big gold belt, but it's the two best prospects in my opinion. In this division 
that now go get to fight for the big gold belt. And that to me is the wrinkle that makes it all the more exciting. So to that point of them being the two best prospects, and I know you're on a little bit of a time window here, and I greatly appreciate you jumping in this morning for me, this afternoon, evening for you. Has the UFC not let let us down or let these men down by not marketing them correctly or more or whatever? Or are these just two guys that have kind of gotten, are these two guys that have gotten sort of caught up in the wash of the schedule that haven't gotten that opportunity to really be celebrated as ascending, dangerous, big-time contenders and future threats in this build to where now they're being called upon to fight for a championship belt. Tom Aspinall has headlined his last three fights, three of the last four events in London, all of which are sellouts and highly anticipated watches because the crowd and the atmosphere is often tremendous. Sergey Pavlovich headlined his last appearance, but prior to that was a you know middle of the middle of the main card at UFC 277 was on that December fight card in in Orlando last year i think on the fourth spot of a seven fight main card so kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit yeah i'm glad we're not getting fight 14 fight cards on the regular anymore but as the UFC or or have these guys just not been necessarily promoted to the point that would that would generate the kind of interest and fervor we see with a Sean O'Malley as he was ascending, a Cyril Gaon as he was ascending, a Francis Ngannou as he was ascending. Hell, even a Johnny Walker back in the day when he won his first three and people were tripping over themselves to say he's going to be the guy to fight John Jones. Have we missed? Have we missed this opportunity a little bit? So without devolving into a the UFC need to do more specific marketing because Thank you. I, th I think that really is the crux of the matter neither of these guys are really global stars now what do I mean by that what I mean by that is Tom Aspinall is loved here locally in Great Britain in the United Kingdom because he says the slang that we know he likes to sink a couple of pints, not from cans, but from a draft. He will be able to say things and his accent is in such a way that people recognize it here, right? It, it, the US audience doesn't get it. Like the jokes, his humor, the way he carries himself, all that stuff just isn't, it isn't as easily transferable. And he isn't somebody that goes out of his way to build and elevate that character in a way that starts to build relatable branches, right? Sean O'Malley already had relatable branches. And if you make a splash in North America, the likelihood is you'll make a splash everywhere else, right? Whereas Tom Aspinall is doing the opposite. Somebody like a Johnny Walker has a massive personality, huge personality, and also happened to do some crazy kicking, flying knees, right. spinning elbow stuff, right? Dislocated Where, shoulder celebrating a victory. Yeah. Right, right. That, that's the way you get fans, clearly. And so I think for Tom Aspinall, to begin with, he's a very, very, very solid fighter that's focused on skills. And then he's just himself. And right. that generally, if we just put those two sentences together and forget who Tom Aspinall <laughs> is, that's not the recipe for building. Right. It's a Probably recipe for being a great fighter. Potentially a champion, but not somebody that necessarily, it's the, I mean, we have it in Leon Edwards. Right. We had it in Colby Covington, right? In Colby right. Covington, right. we did, 
right? No, um, hundred. I'm I'm laughing because it is one thousand percent true. Right, we unbelievable fighter. Nobody fucking knew who he was. Nobody gave a shit. And Dana was like boring, and he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just I wear this red hat and then shout at people, and things will be fine, right? Like, it's just that's just the recipe that we have. And I think Sergey Pavlovich is very similar. I'm sure he's a large star in in Russia, but his English isn't amazing, right? So that's a problem. It's always been a problem. Right. He does big heavyweight punchy things and people go night, night when they connect. That's grand, but he doesn't talk. He doesn't do interviews. He's not, you know, right. putting himself out there and doing this and that and the next thing. And so the UFC aren't going to build on a guy like that. You right. know, it's long written that the UFC want the fighter to do the heavy lifting and then they will capitalize on the back end and they'll spend the marketing dollars to proliferate that character out further. If you don't have one, they're not going to do the heavy lifting and that's it. And so I think the UFC are happy enough with Thomas Spinal being the star he is in the region he is. If he becomes the UFC undisputed heavyweight champion by unifying the belt and whatever fucking happens, right? Whatever. Whether he gets whether he wins this one and gets promoted or whether he fights John Jones or whatever the fuck happens, right? Um they will undoubtedly start to build him and bill him as the heavyweight champion. And so that alone will make him have a splash in the US. But he won't be as big as John Jones, right? He won't be as big as Sean O'Malley. He won't be as big as, obviously, Connor. He won't be as big as, you know, you input somebody, you know, Demetrius Johnson, Henry Cejudo, whoever it is, like whoever the next kind of guy is. He's not going to be that size and it's just not his character to be that. So has the UFC uh, done a disservice to the fighters? Yeah, all of them. But has... Right. Has the UFC ever shown a precedent otherwise? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. So I think in the same vein, a lot of the portion of this comes down to the fans too, right? Yeah, and, and that's what I was going to say. There's there's certainly always, and, and we've talked about it ad nauseum, so we don't need to get into it here, as you said, there's always more the UFC can do. But Tom Aspinall has headlined his last three fights at home in London, where he's gotten a hero's welcome, a king's welcome, and if that doesn't resonate to the audience, if that doesn't tell people this is someone you should pay attention to, especially when he's going out there and doing great big heavyweight things that we're not seeing, and he has victories like the one over Alexander Volkanovsky, or Alexander Volkov, excuse me, that continues to age extremely well as Volkov continues to put up victories. And he is, as you said, just, just a good lad all around, 100%, all the skills. If you're not paying attention on your own, I don't, this is an argument I make all the time. I don't know what more you need than results, performance, and the fact that he's been headlining for you just on your own to go, this is someone I should maybe care about. Pavlovich, I think is a little bit different because he hasn't been headlining. He had the one, it was Curtis Blades. Fine. All the elements you said, I think are true as well. The lack of English, the lack of just exposure to him. But I mean, if you look at a guy that's won six straight all in the first round, all by smash, tells me you should be paying attention. And so while there's always more that can be done, these are the kinds of athletes to me that we should just be paying attention to on our own, whether we, it's we as media or we as fans. All the evidence is there to go, okay, they're climbing the ranks in the big boy division. They do smashy things. I should probably watch these guys. And so hopefully, in these next couple of weeks, we get a little ramp up of, of energy and excitement. Cause I, I do believe, as we've said, this is the right fight. It is a great fight and it will determine to me, it, it could potentially determine 
who sits atop this division for a while. Because as we said off the top, I don't know that we're getting John Jones or Steve Miacic back. Before we get out of here, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I, 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 I agree. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if John Jones doesn't come back. Like, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked at all if John Jones is like, ah, lads, fuck this. Like, well, like, yeah, do you want to go through surgery and then all of that rehab and then all of that for what we all expected, right? And now maybe he comes out and says, look, it wasn't my plan to retire. And now I'm not going to rehab and go through surgery and fight once and then bounce. But it sure seemed like that was going to be. And I don't know if you're going through surgery and all that recovery to then go through another camp to then risk this happening again for one more fight. So maybe we move on. We touched on a little earlier the does this feel like a, a Madison Square Garden card? Does this feel like a big enough card? Looking at the card as a whole, not to break it down in in totality. I think one of the things that kind of stumbles people in this Madison Square Garden of it all, the first one was obviously a big deal. New York was one of the last states to legalize MMA. It was a point that was very prominent here in North America and in the MMA media as it was being covered. So that debut show at UFC 205 was a huge deal. It was a momentous evening with Conor McGregor becoming the first double champ in UFC history. The second fight there featured three championship fights and it just became the place where there were these massive events, right? The third event there is Michael Bisping and George St. Pierre with a couple championship fights under it as well. Or was that the second one? I can't remember anymore. It's starting to get, the age is starting to wear at the memory. But I still think this is a really great card. I think the light heavyweight title fight is the right fight for the division at this time. Happy to see Yuri Prohashka back. Happy to see Alex Paheya getting a chance to fight for the title again. He's He, to me, has been tethered to Madison Square Garden. Debut there. A year later, he wins the middleweight title. A year later, he has a chance to win the light heavyweight title. That's an interesting story. And then the rest of the card behind it, including this heavyweight interim title fight, is a pretty solid card. It's not the blockbusters that we've seen at Madison Square Garden at times, but it's a pretty good card overall, in my opinion. I think it's fine. Right? <laughs> like, I, I think... Yeah, I'm always the, the happier side of things. Yeah, like, I... We have to rank cards as we as past this prologue right so for an msg card it's not a great card like two amazing fights at the top amazing undoubtedly amazing but msg cards have been unbelievable right like they have been so incredibly stacked up until this point and we'll just very quickly run, run through the card now i'm i'm looking at topology sorry sean um I'm looking at topology and we'll just we'll just run through the fights that we have. So Yuri Pakacha, Alex Paheya, and the heavyweight fight, unbelievable. Fascinating. Fantastic fights. Just Grandraj, Mackenzie Dern, whatever. Fine. Good fight, but I'm not writing home about it. Just Grandraj coming to the tail end of her career. The Mackenzie Dern question is the same as always. Has she put together some jabs or is she just gonna barrel through shots and try and take people down? Fine. Pat Sabatini, Diego Lopez. Diego Lopez is interesting because he had an incredible debut. Pat Sabatini is just a fine fighter that sits somewhere in the unrankings and whatever. Matt Fravola, Benoit Saint-Denis, that's just, they've put that there on the main card because people like violence. Fravola is a New York guy as well. Sure. Joshua Van, interesting prospect. Uh, Kevin Borjas, interesting prospect. Fine. But 
uh, on an MSG card? Why? Uh, Match Nell, Stephen Ersig, great fight. No problem with that. Great fight. Jarrah Gordon, Mark Manson, again, fine. Um, Rebecca versus Aliyev. Okay, we like Aliyev, and Rebecca has got a nice, le- le- nice left hand, but there's not a lot to write home there. Uh, Dennis, that fella's second name. Bazooka. Uh, thank you. Versus Jamal Emmers. Again, fine. fine. New York guy as well. Yeah. I'm not I'm not writing home about it, right? And then Sadiakov versus Borshev. Borshev probably loses that. Tabitha Ricci versus Lupi Godinez. Again, fine fight, no problem with it, but doesn't, you know, I, I'm interested to see Lupi Godinez. I'm interested to see Tabitha Ricci. It's the right fight, but on an MSG card, I don't know. And then Kyo Young Kang versus John Castaneda. I'll always tune in for a John Castaneda fight, but again. And I'll MSG- always turn in for a Kyung Kang fight. That man is ridiculously good looking. But yes, to clean up to clean up what I was saying earlier about the MSG cards, and I agree with you in terms of the depth of some of these shows previously. First one, 205, Conor McGregor wins the double champ. 217 is the second one. Michael Bisping, George St. Pierre in the main event. TJ Dillashaw, Cody Garbrandt, Komain, Rose Namajunas, Yoana Yenjacek in the third spot. What a fucking fight that was. UFC 230, Cormier versus Lewis. That one wasn't so strong. UFC 244. Masvidal Diaz for the original, the inaugural, the supposedly one-time only BMF title. Not a great card. And then UFC 286 a couple of years ago, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington 2, Rosanami Yunus, Zhang Wei Li 2, Cheeto Vera kicking Frankie Edgar in the face in the featured bout on the main card. And then last year, as I mentioned, Alex Pahea winning the middleweight title from Israel and Desonia, Zhang Wei Li reclaiming the strawweight belt, Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler, in the middle of that card. I agree with you that this one doesn't necessarily match that measure, match those measures. Mm-hmm. I think it should still be an all right night of fights. I think oh, it should sure. still be a very fun night of fights. I think a bunch of those New York talents that are getting the opportunity to compete, like this is where Madison Square Garden means something, right? Means something to Jared Gordon and Matt Frivola and Dennis Bazuki and Nazim Sadikov, guys that are from New York and Long Island and and the surrounding areas where they're going to have legions of fans in the building and get that pop, get that roar. It's still going to be a good card. I think this is a great fight. I understand the disappointment or frustration or sadness in losing John Jones, Stipe Miacic, but I'm kind of happy that we're just moving forward. I think for me, I'm just happy that we're, we're kind of moving on. Yeah. I mean, look, as I said at the top here, I'm not that asked about losing the fight. And frankly, losing losing that fight and having it replaced by this one, I think this one's probably a better, fresher, more interesting fight from two younger, hungrier, more gas left in the tank fighters. Um, I don't really it does like losing John Jones doesn't change my opinion of the card whatsoever. Like I still think it's just a it's a fine card with two really, really excellent top top of the bill fights. Um yeah, I, I kind of agree. And I don't I don't mean this in like a, a passive or dismissive way to John Jones, but I kind of feel like the John Jones error is done. Um, if you tease heavyweight for 15 years of your 15 year career, and then you eventually make it and you have <laughs> one fight and then, okay, I understand. Look, injuries happen. I get it. It's fine. But the, the laboring that it took right. for negotiations to get there. And then the negotiations fell through and the Francis never happened. And then this, and just the fucking debacle that seems to come right. with every single John Jones mention of a name. 
it's just not worth it to me anymore. When you have fighters like Tom Aspinall and you have fighters like Islam and Volk and Taporia and all of these fighters that are just like, yeah, yeah, I want to get paid what I'm worth and I'm going to fight for that. But I'm also just going to get in and fucking fight. like, And I'm not going to get arrested and I'm not going to fail drugs tests and I'm not going right. to, you know, do I'm going to be here every four months, health provided. Right. Yeah. I will let you get out of here before I do let the people know what you've got coming out, where to find you, where to follow you, what to, what to read, what to listen to. Uh, sure. Look, listen to whatever the fuck you want. It's your time. Um, uh, you can find me over at the Sverma YouTube channel doing some breakdowns and some previews. You can find me on the Sverma website doing uh, a article every Monday called the Sphere Spotlight. Uh, I basically do some words from a keyboard about a fight that happened that I liked. Um, and then you can find me at BJJ underscore Harry Powell on Twitter and on instagram though instagram is almost entirely dedicated to grappling so if you don't like grappling don't fucking go there either you can also find him on severemma.com forward slash pints the patreon page where he hosts the speaker's corner with Sean, yes. shawnee podcasts every week it is my favorite thing in this space they break down and talk about some of the important issues and and just really great topics week to week that aren't necessarily out there being covered all the time i miss doing this with you routinely this has been fun. I appreciate it. As he said, follow him at BJJ underscore Harry Powell. I am at Spencer Kite. This is the Keyboard Kimura podcast presented by the fine folks at One Bone. Love you. Appreciate you. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. We'll talk to you soon.